0: Fathers, we come to this great love story in chapter 24 of Genesis. We get such a great picture of of uh, just how you work in the lives of those who follow after you, and uh, we see your great uh, work of providence, your sovereignty over our lives, Lord, as we look at this picture, and you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, so we know just the way you worked in Abraham's life, Lord, you're willing to work in our lives if, you'll, if we'll just let you. And so, Lord, just just teach us about your providence today as we look at this, this story. And, Lord, uh, even a greater story that we see through this story, the great providence of our salvation, Lord, the way you directed all of history to, to, to find a bride for your son. Uh, uh, and, well, Lord, we just thank you so much that you've made us part of your uh, church and made us uh, your bride and and so it's just a great uh, again typology here a great picture for us to see and I just ask that we see that by the power of your Holy Spirit I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ it's in his precious name that I pray amen when Nathan was about nine and I know Nathan and Eli are going oh no but uh when Nathan was about nine and Eli was about ten, uh, we took a vacation over to East Alabama uh, to Chiha State Park, and we were there a couple of days and and we were camping, and uh, the boys were getting bored, and so I said, "Guys, how would you like to go over tomorrow and and see a Braves game in Atlanta? We weren't that far from Atlanta, and they said, "Dad, that'd be great so uh, they were kind of tired of the camping thing, so so sure enough, the next day we got in the car and we rode over to Atlanta. And when you get to Atlanta, you come off the interstate and and you know there's uh, there's scores of parking lots where you can park there at the stadium. And and I always choose one far away, you know, and because it's, it's cheaper and you can get in and out of the traffic easier. So I I stopped at the first parking lot and I pulled in. And uh, no sooner did I pull in, Brenda looked over, she saw a couple getting out of the car. Uh, like two spots from us, and she says, "That's Matt and Courtney," and and Matt and Court Matt is my older son, and Courtney is my daughter-in-law, and we hadn't seen them in like three years, and just because you know I was busy as a pastor, and we couldn't get them to come down there, and we just we in New Orleans where we were living, and so we just hadn't seen them in a long time, and and uh, I, I said, "That that can't be them." Well, sure enough, it was Matt and Courtney there. A brave ball game, just like we were, and and uh, we had a we had a nice time that day at the ballpark, and and uh, we we got to eat dinner that night, and we kind of uh, renewed a relationship that's, that's continued on since then, and and uh, you, you think about that scenario now. I mean, uh, we lived in New Orleans, they lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, and we just. Both of us just happened to be in Atlanta at the same time, and we both just happened to, to go to the same game. They have 162 games a year. I'm not even an Atlanta Braves fan, but my, my son was, and so we just both happened to be at the same game at the same time. We chose the same parking lot. We arrived at the parking lot exactly the same thing. We parked within two spaces of each other, now you can say that's all chance, I say that's a miracle of God, a miracle of providence. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in chapter uh, 24. Uh, we're going to see uh, just how God works in miracles of providence uh, as we look at this great love story, uh, this love story between Isaac and uh, Rebecca. Uh, I think it's one of the most beautiful stories ever told, and uh, uh, I mean, it, it's the ultimate blind date. I mean, can you imagine? The father sends his servant off to find this girl, and they find this girl, and uh, it's more than 400 miles away. The girl comes back, and she marries the son, and so uh, it, it's quite a story, and it, and it and it's all takes place by a miracle of providence. Now, what we're going to see as we advance in this story over the next couple of weeks is that that this love story is a type of an even greater story, Uh, how the father, our father, God, God the father, has sent forth the Holy Spirit, his servant, to find a bride for his son. And that's the picture we're going to get as we look at all this. But first of all, we want to look at just the literal story. So that's what we're going to pick up uh, beginning in chapter 24, uh, verse number one. So we go to uh, chapter 24, verse number 1. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age. You know, I'm a young man compared to Abraham. Uh, he was, He was. we know Sarah died from chapter 23 when she was 127. And this happens right after she died. So he was 10 years older than her, so he's 137. And Isaac wasn't any spring chicken himself. Uh, he was 37 at this point. Uh, so it says now Abraham was old; he was well advanced in years. And I love the last part of uh, this verse right here. It says, uh, "He, the Lord, had blessed Abraham in all things." I mean, every area of his, in every area of his life, he was blessed. He was blessed materially. He was one of the wealthiest men in the world. He was blessed physically, obviously, because he was 137 years old and he still was getting around without any problem. And he was blessed spiritually. And and most importantly, he was blessed spiritually because he, he lived in a relationship with the Lord. Now, the people that know us should be able to say the same thing about us. That this last part of this sentence that we have that we that the Lord has blessed us in all things. I mean, He has. If you're a believer, He has blessed you in all things. I mean, because the Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So you could put it this way: you could say that all things work together to bless those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Now, sometimes his blessings come in strange packages. Sometimes they come in the form of trials and difficulties, just like they did in Abraham's life. But in, but people should be able to look at us and the way we're living our lives and, the, and, and our relationship with the Lord, and they should be able to say that we're blessed in all things. And Abraham was blessed in, in all things in his life, and, and that should be said about us. And, and he wants his son to be blessed. And his son's getting up in age, and his son is mourning the loss of his mother. And so uh, he is going to go out and try to find uh, Isaac a bride. So let's, let's pick up in verse number 2. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh. Now, he wasn't a gay guy or anything like that. He said, Put your hand under my thigh, uh, because that's a that was the custom that they used in order to make an oath. And so he says, "And I will make you swear," verse number 3, "by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell." These were pagan people, godless people, ruthless people, savage people, and he didn't want his son taking a wife from any of any of those Amorites, or uh, uh, Philistines, or any of the people that inhabit, inhabited Canaan. He says, but you should go to my country, and he's talking about Mesopotamia here, the land of Chaldea, where he'd come from. You should go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Now, who's the servant here? I think there's little doubt here that this is Eliezer. Eliezer we saw uh, for the first time in chapter 15, you remember when God had told uh, Abraham that He was going to bless him, and he said, "Lord, how are you going to bless me? My only heir is my servant Eleazar of Damascus. Uh, he's the he's the only heir I have. So how are you going to bless me?" But here we see Eleazar, and he's entrusted by uh, Abraham. Uh, he's in charge of all of Abraham's uh, possessions. And he's chosen him to go out and find a son, uh, f- I mean a bride for his son, uh, Isaac. And, and, uh, but he's going he's to he's make him swear a couple of things. He's going to make him swear, first of all, not to find a wife from the Canaanites. He's going to make him swear that he's going to go to the land of his fathers and look for a bride amongst his kin. And then we'll see in a minute he's going to make him swear a third thing. He's going to make him swear that Isaac doesn't go with him. And so uh, what he's asking him to do is pretty much an impossible thing. And Eleazar realizes that. I mean, what woman is going to go 500 miles through a dangerous desert wilderness uh, and come marry a guy she's never seen? And what father's going to turn her daughter over to a servant and let her go to that foreign land and marry a guy who he doesn't know, who he's never seen? And so Eliezer realized, hey, man, you're asking me to do the impossible. Look at verse number 5. He says, "And, and the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. I mean, really, he was thinking she, there's no way she's going to follow me to this land. And I'm going to retranslate the next sentence here for clarity. He, and then he says, I must take your son back to the land from which you came. He says, I'm not, there's no way I can get this done if I don't take Isaac with me. Apparently Isaac was a pretty good-looking guy, and, and Isaac, the, the, they probably would have recognized as their kin. And so, so uh, it would have been a lot easier if he could have just taken Isaac with him. But look at verse number 6. six. But Abraham said to him, "Beware, and I'm warning you that you do not take my son uh, Isaac back there now now, why would Abraham say that? No doubt he was worried that if Isaac went back to the land of his fathers, that was a beautiful land in Mesopotamia. Here they were pilgrims living in tents out in the wilderness and and so he was afraid that if Isaac went back to Mesopotamia that he would never come back and Abraham would be left alone. He had just left his wife and he didn't want to lose his son. And, and, uh, but more importantly, Isaac was heir to the promised land. He was heir to that land of Canaan. He wasn't heir to Mesopotamia. He was heir to the promised land. And so Abraham tells Eliezer hey, the, the, under no circumstances... Do you take Isaac back with you? you. And so that's going to make this a really almost impossible task. Uh, And listen to what Abraham says to him. It it is impossible, but the Lord, and I'm reading from verse 7, the Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land, this land of Canaan, not Mesopotamia, don't worry about it. Even though you don't take Isaac with you, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. I'm confident that if you go by yourself, the Lord's going to be with you and you're going to find a wife for Isaac. Now, now Eliezer had, had been around. He had been a close confidant of, of Abraham for several years, for, for decades, and he had seen the angel of the Lord working in Abraham's life. Just like, as I said earlier, people should see the angel of the Lord working in our lives. And they should see how God is guiding our lives. And he had seen God guide Abraham's life. And, and so now Abraham brings this point up and he says, look, just as the angel of the Lord has guided me and you've seen him guide me, he will guide you too. And I will tell you, you're going to find a wife for, for, for Isaac when you get to that of the land of my fathers, you can bank on it and if you'm wrong uh verse number eight listen to what he says if i'm wrong uh then then and if the woman is not willing to follow you then you will be released from this oath only again he says do not take my son isaac back there i can't stand the thought of losing my son so the servant put his hand under the thigh of abraham his master and he swore to him concerning this master. So he swears to him, I'm going to go. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to seek a bride for Isaac. I'm going to seek that bride from your kin, from from the land of your fathers, and I'm not going to let Isaac go with me. He swears. Then in verse number 10, so the servant leaves, and he packs up, and he, he takes his best automobiles. I mean, in those days, camels were like automobiles. I mean, the nicer camel you had, I mean, the most modern camel you had, the better off you were. So the servant took ten of his master's camels. He loaded them up with goods, and he departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahar. Uh, So he loads up the supplies. He takes these ten camels, and he's carrying a dowry, uh, for the father of this potential bride, so he's got lots of goods that he carries with him, and then uh, he he makes it finally to the and this you know he skips a lot of time here, but he makes it finally to the city of Nahar in Mesopotamia, and then we pick up in verse number eleven. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women when women go out to draw water. Then he said, if they need water, they go out to draw water. Uh, if that's the day they go out to draw water. Uh, different women drew the water. So there's, there's a lot of chance involved here. And then he said, oh, Lord God. Now he begins to pray. He begins to pray. Now I'm sure he had prayed along the journey. Lord, help me with this journey. Help me get there. Help me get there. Help me get there. But now he's there. He's got to pick a bride for Isaac. And he wants the Lord's help. So this is better late than never. So he's going to pray to the Lord. And then he said, "O Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. What a prayer, huh? Man, you talk about an intercessory prayer. I mean, do you pray like that? I mean, I got to be honest with you. I don't pray like that very often. And usually when I do, it's kind of drudgery. I love praying for myself. But, but uh, praying for others is not the easiest thing to do, is it? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, it's not that easy to do. But he does that. I, I mean, it's a very unselfish prayer. He's not so much concerned about his welfare. He's concerned about Abraham's welfare, about his master's welfare. But you can tell he has a relationship with the Lord because of what he calls the Lord. He, 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 he calls out to the Lord, Jehovah Elohim Elohim. Adonai what a beautiful way to call upon the Lord the God of Abraham Jehovah Elohim Adonai the God of Abraham and I've watched you work over these years Lord and I know what you can do and uh, uh, you're my God as well as Abraham's God so give me success for the sake of Abraham show kindness to Abraham uh, uh, my master. And then he asked for a sign. I, I, I think this is really neat that the, the guy asked for a sign. He knows the Lord and he wants to do the will of the Lord. And so we asked the Lord for a sign. We're picking up in verse 13 now. He says, behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, let it be that the young women to whom I say, the, you, I'm sorry, the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. I mean, she shows kindness, and she says, drink. And, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, I think it's really interesting here. You remember when Gideon asked for a sign. What did he ask for? He asked for a supernatural sign. He asked God to take the fleece and make it wet or make it dry, depending on uh, uh, the opposite of what it was supposed to be. So he was asking for a supernatural sign. And, 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 and uh, Eliezer doesn't say, well, why don't you do this? When the girl comes and draws the water, let this light, shine over the top of her head, and I'll know it's her. Now, God might have answered that uh, prayer for him. That might have been the sign he gave her. But he doesn't ask for a supernatural sign. He asks for a miracle of providence. Have you ever done that? I've done that on several occasions where I've asked God to move things in such a way that I know that you're the one who's doing this. I don't have to see some kind of supernatural sign. A, a, A miracle of providence will do just fine, Lord. And that's what he's asking for, because Eliezer knew that under normal circumstances, what he had asked for was never going to happen. Because, uh, first of all, she had to be at that exact place at that exact time. Secondly, uh, in that culture, uh, women were forbidden to talk to strangers. So this lady's going to have to be so kind that she's going to violate her cultural norms and, and, and talk to me. and even then she's going to have to do something that nobody had ever done. She's going to have to offer to not only give me water, she's going to have to offer to give my camel water and give them water which which nobody would do. And so uh, and then there's one other thing, just one other little thing that she would have that would have to have she would have to come from the family, of Nahar. So you put all of that together, and what you're looking at is, is a, he's calling for a miracle, a miracle of providence. And that's what it's going to take uh, in order for him to be sure that he's got the right bride. Now, there are a couple really good lessons in this uh, little passage right here that we just looked at that we can learn. First of all is this, and I've already kind of addressed it. But God doesn't have to to do something supernatural for it to be a miracle. Did you catch that? He doesn't have to do something supernatural for it to be a miracle. He can move ordinary people in ordinary ways in such a way that they come together at just the right time in order to do his will. I have seen that over and over again and over again in the life of believers. What do we call that? We call that providence. That's what it is. And divine providence is every bit as much of a miracle as any supernatural miracle that you'll ever see. And the Bible is full of miracles of providence. I mean, let me just give you a few examples. You remember Moses when he was born. He was a beautiful child, which meant that he was a special child. And his parents knew that he was a special child. And, and at that particular time in history, Pharaoh was ordering the Jews to throw all their newborn sons into the Nile River and drown them. Well, they, he, they might would have done that, but he was such a special child, they wanted to save him. Everybody, you would think they'd want to save all their children, but he was such a special child, they wanted to save him. Well, what they did, they put Moses in a basket and floated him down the Nile. Now, a big fish didn't come and swallow him up in a supernatural miracle like he did Jonah and spit him out at Pharaoh's daughter's house. He didn't do that. It just so happened that he floated down there, and she just happened to be out there when he arrived. That is a miracle of providence. I love the book of Ruth. And one of my favorite parts of the book of Ruth is when it says, she happened upon the field of boaz i mean i mean she just happened there i mean she she didn't get there on a chariot of fire like elijah went to heaven i mean god didn't bring her riding in on a on a white horse how did she get there she walked to that field but her whole life had been orchestrated in such a way that she would arrive on that field that very day and boaz would see her and he would fall in love with her, and it would be love at first sight. And we know the rest of the story because Jesus Christ comes through the line of Ruth. You look at the book of Esther. You don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed this when you've read the book of Esther, but in the book of Esther, the name God is not mentioned one time. You don't, you don't hear his name one time. Uh, uh, there's not a single supernatural miracle that takes place in that book but there are miracles of providence all over that book the very fact that some young jewish girl would become queen of persia for such as for what mordecai called as such a time as this in order to save the jewish nation that is a miracle of providence and i could go on and on and on and on there are miracles of providence throughout the bible and and uh that that uh, we see over and over and over again. Now, God certainly works supernaturally, but He works through miracles of providence, and 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 what uh, that's why I love. I think the Book of Esther is, has such a great lesson in providence because you see God working, writing the script of that whole story. I mean, it's 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 a humorous story the way Haman builds his own gallows to hang to get hung on. I mean, the, the whole thing is 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 God, God, written by. By, the, by God himself, and, and uh, where he arranges all the characters to be at the right place, in the right time, in the right situation, and that's what he's doing right here uh, in, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 24. Now, there's a second lesson here that I want to talk about just a second, and this is the lesson, and, and, and I think it's an important lesson because I've heard people say that you're not to ever ask God for a sign. I totally disagree with that. I totally disagree with that. Just about every biblical character there was of of any salt would, would lower his pride and humble himself and ask God for a sign. It's not wrong to ask God for a sign. And I know the comeback to that. Well, Pastor, what about Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign. They were seeking after a sign for all the wrong reasons. They were seeking after a sign because they were a wicked and adulterous generation, a wicked and adulterous people. They were seeking a sign because they were seeking to satisfy their own curiosity. They were seeking a show. They were seeking to be entertained. They were seeking after signs instead of seeking after God, and that is wrong. If that's what you're looking for, God, show me you exist. I want to see something really, you know, really really you know blatantly supernatural that is wrong but to seek God because you love God and you want to do God's will and you want to be sure you're doing God's will to seek a sign from God is not wrong in fact it is the right thing to do I seek signs from God not so God will put on a show I seek God's signs from God because I want to know that what I'm doing is what he wants me to do I mean if i go when i go to buy a car or a house or something like that i i put up a number and i say okay lord if it, if they if i'm not going to give them one penny more than this and 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 that's my sign if they, and i'm if you know me i'm going to get a deal on whatever i'm getting and so if 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 uh they don't want to come down to that deal then then uh, uh i just know it's the lord i i, I made an offer to a car one time and we were when we were living in Jackson, and, and, and we, we, the guy took the offer, and I was really shocked, and I went to, to close the deal, and they added like $600 in dealer prep charges. And I said, I'm not paying that. I said, and and uh, he said, well, we'll split it with you. I said, I'm not paying that. And I walked, and he called me the next day, and he said, you're going to let this deal go for $300? And I said, you better believe I'm going to let it go. And I said, you're not going to understand why. I said, but the reason is is that I've put out a fleece on this and I've, I've told the Lord i wasn't going to pay a nickel more than total than this, than this amount right here. And, and uh, he said, well, that, you're losing a good car. And, and uh, I said, well, I'll just have to lose it because I, I trust the Lord that he'll let me know if I should buy the car or I shouldn't buy the car. And I do that in just about everything I do, any kind of major decision I make. I want a sign from God that I'm doing the right thing. I'm not asking for supernatural signs. I'm asking for a miracle of providence. And God will give you that miracle of providence if you you ask him for it. Now, let's look at this miracle of providence take place. And I think it's really cool what happens here. Look at verse number 15. And it happened. I, I love the way the Bible says, and it happened. I mean, he got lucky that day. It happened because of a miracle of providence. And it happened before he had even finished talking. I love that. Isn't the the, the Lord fun? He's so much fun the way he does things. I mean, sometimes he'll make you wait years for something, and then sometimes you can't even get it out of your mouth, and there it is. I mean, he says, and it happened before he had even finished speaking, that behold, Rebecca. Now, we know all about Rebecca, don't we? I mean, look at your bulletin. I've got a snapshot there of Rebecca right there that we we got from from the biblical archives from a museum we did not get that from there we we got that off the internet but anyway she's pretty good looking isn't she I mean she had to be a knockout and I think Isaac was a pretty good looking guy too and that's why Abraham was scared to let him go over to the land of Chaldea because he knew he was going to find a wife and he might find a pagan wife or he might find a wife from there that wouldn't leave and he would never see his son again Uh, so so Here's Rebekah, who was born to Bethel, son of Micah, the wife of Nahar. I mean, could it be any better than that? Remember when we looked at the last part of chapter 22, we got that genealogy there, and right in the middle of that genealogy, when you wonder why you're getting the genealogy of Nahar's family, you see Bethel, who begot Rebekah. Now we see why. Uh, those genealogies are important. So she, she was born to Bethel, son of Micah, Milca, rather, not Micah, Milca, the wife of Nahar, Abraham's brother, came out with a pitcher of water on her shoulder. Now, if she hadn't had the pitcher of water on her shoulder, if she hadn't had the pitcher on her shoulder, she was out taking a stroll, it wouldn't have happened. But she had the pitcher on her shoulder, and he saw this beautiful woman, and he's got to be thinking, I hope it's her. I hope it's her. And uh, so, so, uh, I mean, I I got to believe that Eleazar is really excited at this point because she, as he's going to find out in a minute, she is Abraham's great niece, and so she could be the perfect bride. And she comes to that well exactly at the time when Eleazar is there. And again, before he even finishes his prayers, there she is. Uh, Now look at verse number sixteen. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, and she was a virgin. Uh, No man had ever known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so listen to how, how humble and kind she is. So she said to him, Drink, my Lord. And then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when he had finished giving him a, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, "I will draw water for." He doesn't say a word. He doesn't try to help God out with this. Sometimes we'll throw out a fleece, and then we'll help God fulfill the fleece, fulfill the sign. Don't do that. Trust the Lord to fulfill the sign. So, so when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, "I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking." Then she quickly emptied her pitcher uh, into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. Now, here is Eliezer, and he is stunned. He is stunned. At the very exact time he's there, this woman comes out carrying a pitcher. Uh, She gives him water, and she gives water to his camels. And the man is in awe at her, or wondering at her. I'd say in awe of her. Verse twenty one. And he remained silent. It was only, he's got to know there's one other thing, one other criteria. Now she's met the sign, but she still has to, he's sworn that she will come from the family of Nahar. So she's gonna to have to meet that sign too. And so the man uh, was in awe at her. He remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He figures pretty much that, that the Lord has. Uh, that he's found the bride that God had chosen for Isaac before the foundation of the world. I really think he thinks that at this point. So it was when, when the camels had finished drinking, he starts taking the goods out of the bag, the dowry out of the bag, the jewelry out of the bag. And we're going to see that jewelry is important because when he goes to the family with Rebecca, old Uncle Laban's going to be there. Y'all all know about Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban... Who, uh, Jacob's uncle Laban, who loved money and loved things. He's going to see all that jewelry and stuff, and he's going to say, yeah, you can go. i get some of this. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets. Now, can you imagine wearing a gold, a, a gold nose ring weighing two shekels and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold so this is a this is a lot of money that he's he's pulling out and he's about to give it to her but he's got to know one thing and so he asked her in verse number 20 23 he says tell me whose daughter are you tell me please also is he's ready to go is there room in your father's house for us to lodge and so uh listen to her answer here in verse 24 so she said to him i am the daughter of Bethuel. Look at it. Here's this genealogy again. Same thing we got uh, a few verses ago, the same thing we got at the end of chapter 22. I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have straw and feed enough uh, and room to lodge. So she invites him home. This total stranger, she invites him Home now that just didn't happen in that culture, but she invites him home and uh, uh, you can imagine at this point the joy that fills eleazar's heart, uh, not so much because he's found a bride for Isaac and and he's going he's showing kindness to Abraham. what filled his heart with joy with joy was that the God of the universe had orchestrated all of these events for him and for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob uh, and for the nation, the 12 sons of Jacob, which became the nation of Israel And for you and I, because it's through Rebecca's line that Jesus Christ comes. So, all of this miracle of providence is for all of us. And it's for Eleazar, because he was a believer too. And so, his heart is just soaring with joy. I mean, whenever God speaks to you through a miracle of providence, your heart is just filled with joy. I mean, mine is. I don't know about you, but when, when God works in my life, and I know it's God working in my life, there's nothing that makes me happier than that. Nothing in the world. Because I know that God has his hand on my life, that, that I'm going to live forever with the King of kings and Lord of lords. It just, it just ratifies everything I believe. I mean, when I was driving back from Atlanta that day, and I had seen my son, and I'd seen my daughter-in-law, and, and we'd kind of rekindled a, a relationship, I was I was I was excited about that. But the thing that I was excited to boast about, I mean, I just I just couldn't get over the fact that God had done that miracle and orchestrated all those events so that we would land in that same parking lot next to each other at the very exact same time on the very day. Uh, that we we saw each other I just, I just couldn't believe that God would do that for me I was like Lord thank you for doing that for me and I Lord I will never ever doubt you again Lord I will praise you the rest of my life and the next day Brenda and I were getting ready to pack up our little pop-up camper and we're gonna head back to 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 New Orleans and I, I said let's go for one last walk and there's this we knew this big storm was coming in. We wanted to get it put up before the storm came because it was going to last for, for the next three or four days. And uh, kind of like the thing we got coming at us now. And I, I, I just said, well, yeah, let's just go for one last walk. And the whole walk, we walked around the campground. I was telling Brother, I can't believe the Lord did that. I can't believe it. I love the Lord. I'll never doubt the Lord again. And then it started raining. <laughs> and it didn't just rain. I mean, it poured. Now, if you've ever had a pop-up camper and it's not put up, that's a bad, that's a hard thing to do in the rain. So I got to put in the pop-up, I, I said, guys, we've got to all get this thing put up before this rain, before this rain starts, and, and I mean, before this rain gets uh, gets really, really bad, and it got really, really bad. I mean, it was getting worse and worse all the time, and so we're doing our best to get everything put up and get the camper put away. And they had taken the support rods off the the pop-up part of the camper, so I went to pull that part out went inside the camper to pull that part out and the whole thing collapsed and the rods that push into the into the pop-up camper were all bit so you couldn't get it pushed in and it's pouring down rain it's pouring rain into the camper and I'm cursing and I wasn't cursing God specifically but I was mad at God and I began to I had an axe and I began to hammer that camper and Nathan walked up behind me, and I'm not lying. I almost became an axe murderer that day. <laughs> I, he walked up behind me and got that close to that axe. And I tore the camper up, wadded it all up, put the top on, and I was than you know what. And I lost all of what God had done for me. But you know what? He's done a lot of miracles of providence since then. And when I'm unfaithful, God has always been faithful. And I, I I see him not every day, but almost every day I see him working his providence in my life. And I'm so so grateful to the Lord for that. That he would do that for me. So here's Eliezer, and he's taken back by, by God's great power and grace, and and he does what we all should do. And and, and look at what verse number twenty six and the man bowed down his head and he worshiped the Lord. Man, whenever God works in your life, that's the best thing to do. Just fall on your knees and bow down and worship the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. I mean, when God works in your life, that's what you, you know what you realize? You realize that God is true. He is faithful when we're unfaithful. That he's true. That he's still he's still working in our life, and 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 he's found a bride for for Abraham's son. As for me, being in the way of on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. What a great God you are, Jehovah! Is what he's saying. And the Abraham wasn't the only person. Impressed by this miracle of providence. Blessed by this miracle of providence. Look at verse 28. So the young woman, Rebecca, ran home and told her mother's household all of these things. And you imagine how happy she was. She's getting all of this jewelry. She's met her her great uncle's servant. And he's probably told her at this point, I want you to become my master's bride. And she's excited. You know, this story that we're looking at today, and we'll we'll finish it up next week, or at least try to finish it up next week, are like all the stories in the Bible. They're written by God. They're all written by God. They're authored by God. Uh, that's why we call this His Word. Even though individuals wrote it, God was just used. They were just tools in God's hand to write this Bible. That's why we call history His story. That's why Peter referred to Jesus Christ in the Book of Acts, chapter three. He refers to Him as the Author of Life. He writes the stories of our lives, and He is a romantic author. I mean, he loves to write love stories. I mean, Isaac, the story of Isaac and Rebecca, it is a love story. And really all the stories in the Bible are love stories because he loves us. He wants the best for us. And, and uh, so he writes wonderful stories, wonderful stories. Now, does that mean there aren't any difficulties or trials in those stories? No, there's trials and difficulties all over the Bible. So he can show his love for us through those trials and difficulties. You know, my favorite television channel is, is, is not Fox News. It's uh, channel 124, Grit TV. Any of you watch Grit TV? Man, if you don't watch Grit TV, there's something wrong with you. I mean, it's nothing, at night they don't play anything but Audie Murphy Westerns. John Wayne Westerns. Uh, I could give you a list, but, I mean, he's, he's Westerns from the 50s and 60s. And I know the story of every one of them the same. The, story, the, the stories don't change. I mean, basically, here's the story. The hero who's usually the marshal, or he's the sheriff. Uh, he falls in love with a girl, uh, and there's all sorts of villains. I mean, evil, evil villains. They, they, they have all of these trials, but i got to tell you, in the end, he's going to get the girl and they're going to ride off into the sunset, and they're going to live happily ever after. And all the villains are going to be dead. And I love when they kill the villains. And, and you, you know, you might say, well, pastor, that's fiction. That's, that's not the way things happen in real life. Oh, yes, it is the way things happen in real life if you know the Lord. I mean, if you know the Lord, yeah, you're going to face all sorts of trials, and you're going to face all sorts of villains. Uh, but let me tell you, the marshal is in town. He's on his throne, and, and, and he loves us. We're his, he's our lover, and we're his lover. And in the end, he's gonna, we're going to overcome those trials, and all the villains are going to get killed. They're going to all be destroyed. You know, hopefully there aren't any villains left, but let's be real. There are going to be a lot of villains that are going to get killed in the end. And in the end, we're going to ride off into the sunset with him, and we're going to live happily ever after. Because he is the author of our life. He is the author of our life. Now, if you want to, you can choose to author your own life. But let me tell you this. In the end, the villains are going to get you. And in the end, you're not going to live happily ever after. The story can only turn out good if you know the Lord. And he writes our stories. The story of life is meant to be an exciting story. A wonderful story. Sometimes, it's full of supernatural miracles. But more often than not, what it's full of, it's full of miracles of providence where we see over and over again the author of life writing our story. And and if you look carefully back at your life and you're a born-again believer, it's easy to see that God is in charge of your life. Even when you think you're in charge, if you're a believer, you you, you see it's God who's brought you to a certain point in life. And and I think he wants us to know that he's authored our life. He wants us to know that life with him is not a crapshoot. It's not just a bunch of chance. Well, we just go on. Look, if, if all you're doing is living your life for yourself without any form or reason, I don't believe you're saved. Because God's not going to let you do that. You're going to see God's hand throughout your life because he has a great plan and purpose for you. Now, now, even as believers, we can thwart what he's trying to do in our lives. But ultimately, we're still going to get where he wants us to get if we're, if we're truly believers because he's writing a love story. And I see his hand of providence over and over again in my life. And I mean, I, I see his hand of providence right here today. I mean, I can give you some a few examples right here at this church. Go around the corner over there and walk into that nursery, and you'll see a little grandson of mine named James. Let me tell you what, James is no accident. James wasn't an accident at all. I mean, I didn't come here to Lafayette by accident. I mean, I, really, I came here kicking and screaming, sort of. God called me to Lafayette, and I knew he called me to Lafayette by a miracle of providence and by the signs he gave me, and I knew I was supposed to come to Lafayette. Well, it wasn't an accident that we ended up at Beauchene High School. I, I didn't go to high school. I mean, that was a long time ago. But our kids ended up at Beauchene High School because Brenda and I went and checked out all the high schools, and we chose the house we chose because we wanted them to go to Beauchene High School. And we felt that was, we had asked for some signs, and we got those signs, and we felt that that was the high school they were supposed to go to. Well, it wasn't an accident that Eli met his first girlfriend, and his only girlfriend, Kaylee. And it wasn't an accident that they started going steady. It wasn't an accident that they got engaged. It wasn't an accident that they got married. And it wasn't an accident that in June of 2018, they had a son whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And he wrote the exact date of his book when that life would begin. And he arranged all that circumstances so that his life would begin on that day. Now, I can leave the nursery and I can come into the sanctuary right here. And I can, I can look at myself at this pulpit and it's no accident that I'm here. God prepared me and trained me and, and, and worked in my life the whole uh, 50 years before I came here uh, to, to get me prepared to do this. That's why I'm here because God's put me in this spot today. Brandon will be here Wednesday night. I mean, he would much rather be in Hawaii, I'm sure. But, he, but God brought him here. You understand the significance of that? Wednesday night is an important thing for all of us. And God has Brandon in this spot in Lafayette at this time so he can teach here on Wednesday night and bless the people that that come here on Wednesday night. And and I look around this room at all of you who are born-again believers, and none of you got saved by accident. If you're truly a born-again believer, God has worked in your life, throughout your life, to bring, to bring you to that point on that particular day. For me, it was August the 23rd. That's what we were celebrating Friday night. It was August the 23rd, 1989. For you, it's a different date. But at whatever that date is, God had worked in your life, your whole life, to bring you to that point where you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it's not an accident that we've all been gathered here today to worship and praise the Lord. It's, it's, it's no accident. He brought us all together as a group to worship him and pray to him and listen to his word this very day. You know, I think about the Lord who put every star in its proper place. You think maybe he has the ability to put his children in the proper place. You better believe he does. And he will do that if we just let him. And when we learn to look for these miracles of providence, then life begins to make sense. It begins begins to to take on a whole new picture in our minds. And, And we can rest. When we see God working in our lives, we can rest because we know that God is in control of our lives. I mean, we're like passengers on a train. And God is the conductor. And we can move about the train however we want to. But in the end, God's going to get us to that final destination exactly when he's ready to get us to that destination. And in between, we're going to see him driving that train. And how do we see him driving that train? By the evidence of those miracles of providence that we see God working in our lives throughout our lives. And that, when we, when we reach that point where we really are trusting God's direction, we're believing that He is the author of our life, that by providence He's going to get us exactly where He wants us to be, and it is a good place, a really good place. Ultimately, it's heaven, but it is a place for us in this life too. But when we begin to see that, it takes away the fretting and worrying. You just get along. You're just on the train for the ride. Yeah, you'll move about and do certain things day to day, but you're on the train for the ride, and he's got a destination for you, and he's going to get you to that destination. And i got to tell you, just as we saw here earlier with Eliezer, when you see God working in your life, when you know he's working in your life, when you see the most difficult things, trials in your life is the providence of God when you lose someone and you see that as the providence of God I mean when you lose your job and you see that as the providence of God and you know that in the end all of this is going to work out for good you're going to live happily ever ever when you really believe that then then I've got to tell you you see those miracles of providence and you know what it does it draws you close to the Lord And yeah, when trials come, you'll forget it for a while. But in the end, you're going to be drawn closer to the Lord and you're going to praise him and you're going to love him more, which is what he is after. Because he is the author of life and he is the lover of our souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the miracles of providence that you work through our lives. We thank you so much, Lord, that we can trust you. If we if we just submit our lives to you, that we can trust you to, to work good in every situation in our life. Lord, that, 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 that you'll conquer the villains in our life. Lord, that you'll help us overcome the, 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 the obstacles in our life that we'll climb the mountains you want us to climb in our life. Lord, we can do that by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we can do that through supernatural miracles, but, Lord, more often than, often than not, it's through those great miracles of providence you're working in our life father you are the author of life but you give us a choice we can write our own story if we want to but lord we're going to lose in the end and it's not going to be a happy ending so i ask today that if there's anyone here who hasn't submitted their life to you who hasn't given their life to jesus christ i ask lord that you touch their hearts in a special way with the reality of your presence so that they'll open their hearts to you, Lord, and give their lives to you. And, and Lord, yeah, there'll be trials and there'll be tribulations, but, Lord, they'll, life will, will take on a new meaning because it will have purpose and direction for them. Lord, and everything will work out for the good of those that love you. Lord, we thank you so much for those promises, and we know they're true, Lord, because we've lived a while with you, and we just thank you for your goodness. Uh, your grace, your mercy, and your power. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.